From the heart of the Midwest in Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to One More Cold Call, an Indiana University Maurer School of Law alumni podcast. Each week, over a casual cup of coffee, Dean Parrish meets with accomplished alumni from around the world and from all walks of life. Over a season of episodes, we hear from law school alumni who have unique stories to tell about the unfolding of their professional lives and the lessons they've learned along the way. We start off each podcast with a little bit of IU Maurer Law trivia and history. Did you know that Hoagie Carmichael, the famous composer and songwriter, is a graduate of the law school? After graduating in 1926, rumor has it he wrote Stardust, perhaps his most famous song, just across from the law school at the Book Nook, which is now Buffalo Louis. In 2007, the Indiana Historical Bureau in the city of Bloomington installed a historical marker in front of the old Book Nook to honor uh, Hoagie Carmichael. Now you know. Today, we get to meet Kaylin Yuma Weidelman. Kaylin is a 2019 graduate who is an attorney with Kelly Dry in Washington, D.C. Her practice focuses on consumer protection, privacy, and data security. Kaylin was super engaged in law school, and she's been very engaged in practice. While at Maurer, she was the editor-in-chief of the Indiana Journal of Law and Social Equality, the president of APULSA. She competed on the winning team at the Global Antitrust Institute's Moot Court Competition, and she won first place in the Robert T. Matsui Annual Writing Competition. She served as a practice group advisor, volunteered for the Outreach for Legal Literacy uh, Program and the Inmate Legal Assistance Project. She served as a research assistant for two professors, and she wrote stu two student notes. She was the inaugural recipient of the law school's Student Leadership for Supporting Community um, Award, selected by a committee of students, faculty, and staff. She was the recipient of the IU Outstanding Contribution to Student Life Award, and she was the recipient of the Presidential Scholarship, a national award given by the National Filipino American Law Association. And I've only hit the highlights. Kaylin was busy. <laughs> this engagement while she was in Bloomington has continued since she entered practice. She is an at-large trustee of the National Filipino American Law Association, a young lawyer representative for the Presidential Transition Task Force, a member of the Diversity Advanced Initiative for the AB Antitrust Law Section. She's also worked on several pro bono matters. Uh, ranging from immigration to high-profile cases um, for thousands of different people. She's also worked in the Consumer Law Group of the Legal Aid Society of the District of Columbia. Kaylin, welcome. Hey, thanks for making the time. So great to have you on the podcast. Oh, of course. I'm so happy to be here, Dean Parrish. Well, I, I know you're busy, and I, uh, that introduction just, uh, you're busy <laughs> not only in practice, but outside of practice. You've got a lot going on, but, but I want to jump right into it. So, the Young Lawyer Representative for the Presidential Transition Task Force. That sounds, that sounds exciting. What is it? Can you tell our listeners, how'd you get selected? What do you do on that task force? What's involved? Sure. So it's actually a really exciting opportunity that only comes around, as you can imagine, every four years, whenever there's a new president that comes into town. And so um, I actually was connected to the um, transition task force through Professor Wallace because she was so excited for me to be in D.C. that she connected me to all of her DOJ antitrust colleagues. And one of them happened to be Creighton Macy, who is a partner at Baker McKenzie. And uh, we just really hit it off as I talked about antitrust and my love for consumer protection whenever he and I met up for coffee. And so once I had passed the bar and I was already settled at my first law firm job, he gave me a call and said, would you serve as the young lawyer representative for this task force? And I asked him like, what, what is this? Because this seems 
very alarming if I, um, for me to be a part of this, I, I was so junior. Um, but it's, it's the opportunity for the ABA antitrust law section to go through all the antitrust laws, the consumer protection laws, the privacy laws, and give, give the Biden administration a little bit of like, what is the state of play? What are the issues that we're facing? The defense bar, the plaintiff bar, government attorneys, what are the types of cases we're seeing? Where do we see the bar heading? And what are our suggestions? What do our what do we recommend based on what we're seeing on the ground? And so, uh, as part of that task force, I helped draft the consumer protection section, and that is where I got to meet one of my now colleagues, John Villafranco. And I'm super grateful that I got to be on that task force. So um, we drafted it. I proofread it. I found one um, italicized comma. And I think Professor DeGay would be very proud of my attention to detail. And um, I really helped um, whatever the task force needed um, in order for us to send the the document off to Biden's um, chief of staff and also all the FTC commissioners and the DOJ AG's office. Now, it sounds like a great experience. Can, can you give a sense how big was that report? It was about 40 pages. Um, I think for the work that I did, I'm not quite sure what that end total um, ended up being. I think it was about 70 pages total. So we had to truncate quite a bit because I don't think the FTC commissioners have that much time to just read through a thousand pages, which it easily could have been. What a great experience. And uh particularly early on in your career, to be able to influence uh, a, a president's administration, hopefully. You've been doing lots of stuff. Another thing that you have on your resume is working with the Diversity Advance Initiative. What, what's that? So uh, I had the opportunity to actually co-found this initiative along with some of my colleagues at my previous law firm, um, particularly Diana Kalala, who is a, a mentor of mine. And she called me up one day and said, you know, you seem really interested in diversity issues and you're very involved with the ABA. How would you like to start up a diversity initiative where we really just focus in on visibility, um, creating a diverse community and really supporting uh, diverse antitrust and consumer protection attorneys. And I told her, wow, you just really hit on all of my core goals and missions in life. So I'm happy to jump on board. And so it's um, the the Diversity Advanced Initiative started in 2019 and officially in 2020. And we did so well this last year that the ABA Antitrust Law Section um, promoted us to a full committee. And so I'm now the vice chair of that committee, and that's very exciting. And uh, we were recently awarded um, with the Innovative Award at the last a ABA Leadership Summit. So what we do is we host panels where we talk about the intersection of diversity and consumer protection, like um, whether algorithms have a racial bias or how do we think of the consumer welfare standard in terms of you know, low income communities and how can we really think about the ways in which antitrust has practical considerations on people of color and also the LGBTQ community and, you know, different generations of attorneys. And we focus on bringing those types of programming and then um, hosting events where people can come together and really share their stories. Congratulations. It seems like you've done a lot in a short period of time there if you're already a standing committee. 
Oh, thank you. I couldn't have done it without the people beside me, including another Mauer person, Rita Shaw and Pyle Patel. The two of them have been um, the best um, partners in crime in, in all of this. Are they also on the Diversity Advanced Committee Initiative yes. Committee then? Yes, they are. Two other fabulous graduates. And so that's, Absolutely. <laughs> that's terrific. That's terrific. Um, you know, you were also connected or you're connected to a lot of other national organizations and it, it's not all antitrust, right? It's it's broader than that. And I think one of your commitments uh, to diversity is your work with the National Filipino American Law Association. Um, you were involved in that in law school quite heavily, if I remember, and was one of their presidential uh, scholars. But but now you're at an at large trustee. Can can you tell us what, what do you do with Nafala and, and uh, what's your involvement there? Sure. So the benefits of NFALA is that you get to meet Filipino American lawyers and attorneys from all over the country, and you never have to leave, you know, your jurisdiction. So particularly now in the times of COVID, and we're all so isolated, it's been so great to open up a Zoom meeting and just get to talk to people who look like me that have been in the profession and they give me very practical advice and I get to just really build this community um, all over the country from like California to Oregon to Illinois to here. Um, I know that there's always a home for me. Um, so that's been great. Um, but as an at-large trustee, I don't have a specific position, like I'm not like the secretary or the treasurer. So it gives me a lot of flexibility so that I can help um, whatever task the president needs. So um, one thing that I've been working on for NFALA is our five-year plan. And so where do we see this organization in five years? How can we meet these goals? And how can we support our membership through the next five years? So I've been working closely with our other board members on how we can craft that and present it to the members at large. And how did you get involved with NFALA to begin with? It was uh, like, how did that connection begin? So I, it's it's all just um, one big circle, I think, because I connected with APABA uh, Indiana, and APABA stands for the Asian Pacific American Bar Association of Indiana, and I uh, met with Melissa Lynn there, who was the president at the time, and she connected me through NAPABA, which is the National um, Asian Associ American Association in DC. And so when I was the law clerk at Napaba, I met the Fala DC um, crowd and they adopted me and took care of me, made sure that even though I was making no money as an intern, that I was getting fed and um, really helping me develop professionally. And so I was connected to the Fala DC group. And then, you know, Indiana being so close to Chicago, I really also bonded a lot with the um, Filipino American lawyers in Chicago. And so all of these things kind of combined. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting the president, Christy Ganawan, um, and then she uh, was like very interested in bringing in, you know, younger faces into the board because she wants to increase the longevity of, of NFALA. So she asked me to join the board. That's fabulous. I don't know if you, I don't know if I ever told you this. Do you, do you know that the law school, I believe we're the only law school in the nation that has a scholarship partnership with the uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Scholarship Fund. Um, oh, I did not know that, but that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we, we provide a guaranteed scholarship for students that were awarded uh, the Asian Pacific Islander Scholarship Fund as an undergraduate and allows us to recruit students from around the country, um, usually from uh, 
lower socioeconomic, uh, underrepresented uh, uh, Asian Americans. And I, that's amazing. I, I knew Mauer always supported diversity efforts. So I, I'm glad I picked the right home. <laughs> well, I know, it, I know. So you're doing like you do a lot of work, you know, between these different organizations, the ABA, Nafala. Um, also on your, bo uh, your bio, though, you indicate you do quite a bit of pro bono work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, in addition to smaller pro bono cases, like I've taken on some immigration cases where we help file for protection, protective status for um, particularly younger individuals. Um, one really exciting thing that I got to work on at my previous law firm was, um, you know, fighting to prevent the SNAP um, the SNAP uh, benefits from being reduced. And so we were in this mass litigation against the USDA and we were able to use all of our admin law knowledge in order to prevent the USDA from implementing this rule that would have taken um, hundreds of thousands of food stamp dollars out of the people who need it the most. And so I'm really proud of the work that I was able to do on that. And then recently, just a couple of weeks ago, we were able to file our first ACLU case where we are um, advocating uh, on behalf of uh, our client who was arrested uh, for, um, for protesting in front of the mayor's lawn. She was protesting in the name of Black Lives Matter. There was a horrific shooting that had happened of a 31-year-old Black man, and she was advocating for a dialogue to be open between um, the mayor and the, the residents of, of Lafayette. And so instead of having that dialogue, she was wrongly arrested. And so I've been really proud of the work that myself and the team have been able to do in filing that complaint. That sounds fabulous. When you say you and the team, is that other attorneys at Kelly Dry? Yes. So it's a group of me and several other Kelly Dry attorneys, and we um, are partnering with the ACLU on that. That's terrific. And is that ACLU out of DC or, or some other area? Um, ACLU out of Louisiana. Louisiana. That's that. That's fantastic. Um, how how do you balance it all? Right. Like so, you've got. You've got a sophisticated practice at Kelly Dry, um, which has got to keep you busy. And then you, you've got the ABA and you've got Nafala and, and you're, you're working on these pro bono matters. How do you make sure that it all fits in a day? I think that is the age old question that we always ask. And I remember asking Professor Wallace that because, you know, she also does a lot. And like um, all of our professors, they're always so involved, like they were teaching us and then they have their own research. And I just remembered thinking, how do they do it? But then now that I think about it now, I don't really do anything different from what I did in law school. I mean, in law school, I felt like every hour mattered. You know, I was either doing something for journal or something for moot court or something reading for classes or, you know, doing things as a practice group advisor. And it's all about just taking it one hour at a time, one step at a time, getting organized, um, knowing your priorities. I often tell people it's like triaging the situation. Like, why would I work on something that's due a month from now when I know something's due tomorrow? Or then, you know, also communicating with your team. Like, you know, I'm a bit underwater right now. I'm going to need some help here. So knowing that you're not an island um, and then being organized and then just really pacing yourself because um, one of my partners, uh, Elisa Hutnick, she always tells us this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you got to take care of yourself and, and run the race well. 
I think that's good advice. Um, you know, you, you were super, you're super engaged now. You were super engaged in law school. You just ticked off some of those things. If you're looking back, is there like one moment or one activity that you found sort of most memorable or sort of, sort of left its biggest imprint on you? Oh man, there's so many. And when I think back on Mauer, it's filled with all these really little moments. Like when I was a PGA and, you know, our group would go to Starbucks for coffee or like um, when, you know, the different, um, the singing for summer salaries, you know, like, and we would hear, um, you know, all the different professors sing and I, I just get so excited thinking about all of the little moments, but if I had to think of one big moment, it would probably be winning the moot court competition because uh, we were the underdogs. We had never, IU had never um, been a part of this moot court competition before. And myself, Zach Miller and Darian um, Smith, we really took a chance and we said, we're going to work really hard on this and we're going to lean on each other and we're going to be a team. And for some reason, when we got to DC, we just kept on advancing and I don't know how that happened, but all of a sudden I opened my eyes and I'm arguing in front of a former FTC commissioner, Josh Wright, um, commissioner um, Rohit Chopra and Melanie Aikman, uh, a very well-renowned um, antitrust attorney in Canada. And I don't know if any of my colleagues even at work today can tell me that they've done the same exact thing. And so when we get to the finals, um, I mean, Chair Simons is there and um, AAG, um, uh, Macon is there and like really all the top people of antitrust and Judge Ginsburg and you know my class my classmates and my teammates are just like really killing it and I, you know it was such a toss-up if we were going to win and then all of a sudden they Judge Ginsburg announces that the winners of this year's competition was IU Mauer and I don't know if I've ever felt that much pride in my life because we really were just the underdogs, but we had a fantastic coach with Professor Shauna Wallace and the best teammates you could ever ask for. Well, I think you trailblazed a path because I think the teams have done fairly well in the last couple of years too, right? Um, Absolutely. I mean, uh, Rita, she won best um, oralist and then the team last year won best brief. And every year I judge, I've never judged our school, obviously, but I always hear from the other attorneys that IU is always the school to watch out for. And I love, love that our school is becoming known as an antitrust powerhouse. Well, I think that's a lot of credit goes to Professor Shauna Wallace on that and, and her or her work there. And, and, and frankly, a lot of credit to you and, and Zach and Darian for sort of leading the way there and getting us off to the right, uh, the, the right start. Um, so uh, thanks to you there for doing that. Uh, I know it's been like, I think, I think Rita had a fabulous time when she competed. And I think I've heard that consistently with other students too. That's great to hear. Yeah. Well, that's, um, did you find that that also helped you in practice? Like, do you think, did, did, did sort of help you sort of, I guess you were always interested in antitrust, right? Or, or at least for a long time, or was this sort of, it sort of galvanized what you thought you were going to be doing and just made it that much clear that this is where <laughs> your passion lay? I had no idea that I had a passion for antitrust. I originally went to law school thinking I was going to be a death row inmate public defense attorney. And then I took Professor Hoffman's class and I thought if I hear model penal code one more time, I, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. But thankfully, um, 
I was a little lost at that time, but thankfully Professor Wallace was my uh, legal professions and ethics professor. And so I told her, I love the way you teach. I think I learned a lot from you. I don't care what class you teach next, I will take it. And of course it was antitrust. And I had no economics background, but I took her class and I had never had a course impact me so profoundly to the point where I was grocery shopping and I couldn't finish buying the groceries without thinking, is this soy milk in a complimentary market to the cereal that I'm going to buy? Like, who are the substitutes here? Like, and I was thinking about all these things and I've never had that experience before. So it definitely um, started my love for antitrust. The moot court competition really solidified it. And even though I sadly don't practice antitrust now, I, I think very fondly of it. And I love talking to students who are interested in antitrust. And I think it's one of the more important subjects that we talk about in, in law today. And it's how you got connected with the ABA, right? So you yeah. all that work there. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know if I told you this, when I, my first year of law school, I, I had the privilege of working with Harvey Goldschmidt, um, uh, editing his, uh, or not editing, but trying to make some contributions to his antitrust uh, textbook at the time. And he's now passed away, but it was, uh, um, uh, I don't think I added anything. I, I would come in with, you know, 50 cases that I'd found and, uh, and he would, he would shuffle through all of them and then maybe one out of 50 would say, oh, this is interesting. Thanks for the good work. But, uh, he, was fab- <laughs> he was a fabulous professor and it was, it was an interesting uh, introduction. You know, we're talking about antitrust. My memory is that uh, you are a big fan of puns, but maybe even more extraordinarily, a little niche of puns, which is puns and antitrust laws. Uh, am I right there? Am I remembering correctly? Yes, well, I would hate to monopolize the conversation. So I'll uh, sniff this um, into a more concise way, but I love puns and uh, much to the chagrin of many of my classmates, I would make puns in class. And I believe it's my father's fault because I, I didn't realize how corny his jokes were, but he was officiating a wedding recently. And he said that there were three rings in a wedding and a wedding or a marriage. He said, there's your engagement ring, there's your wedding ring, and then there's your suffering. And I just realized this is where I get it from. And it was horrifying. But yes, I channel all that pun energy into my antitrust puns. Um, I'm particularly proud of my HHI pun that I made at work um, previously. I said, um, if you are nervous about attending an ABA antitrust law event, like don't, it won't take too much concentration if you just say hi to one or two um, fellow antitrust attorneys. And I was very proud of that because I, <laughs> and for those who don't know, HHI is the herfindahl hirschman Index. It's how you can calculate um, the concentration of a merger. So I, um, use the word concentration in the pun as well. So that's one of my favorite ones. Always have to rely on my tried and true monopolize and sniff test as well. <laughs> I have to ask, did you have Professor Madeira or Professor Jay as either of your professors? Uh, I did not. I was um, Professor Jay's research assistant, but unfortunately I didn't have the uh, opportunity to take Professor Madeira, but many classmates of mine told me that for singing for summer salaries, one day she and I should just do a pun off. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think both Professor Madeira and Professor Jay maybe maybe use the puns a little too liberally sometimes. Or they're <laughs> they're great, but they're, they're the great. limit does not exist when it comes to puns. <laughs> 
Well, look, if you had advice for somebody who was moving to Bloomington or just starting at the Maurer School of Law and in either way, either the city or the law school, what sort of advice would you give them from somebody who's, you know, you're not that far out? Uh, what, looking back, what would you tell them to do or think about? I think it's the same answer for both questions, and that's just to get involved. I think Bloomington is the most beautiful town you could ever go to law school in. You'll never study contracts next to a forest that you'll see the four seasons happen, you know, and I got the opportunity to see fall and winter and spring and I'm from Texas so I never understood what winter was or fall but um, Bloomington's the most beautiful place to go to law school and if you just get involved like go to the farmer's market get the best donuts in the world at Sweet Claire's Bakery um, go to the garlic festival um, go to all the different restaurants that you can um, just really take advantage of the coolness that is Bloomington. And then the same goes with Mauer. I mean, it was so easy to be involved at Mauer because it was so fun. Like I, people say like, oh, why are you involved in all these things? I'm like, well, how do you think I met my best friends? I mean, to this day, Jenna Hafey and I are, who we met in journal, like we meet every year in Pittsburgh because it's like the middle point, you know? And I wouldn't have met her if I didn't do journal and, um, I wouldn't have met Darian and Zach if I didn't do moot court and like all of my closest friends. Um, now, any anytime my classmates like move over to DC, like I know Haley Hinkle and um, Alexis Daniels are here at DC, like we all text each other immediately, you know? So by getting involved in Mauer, you're giving yourself the opportunity to give yourself the lifelong community. And that's priceless. You can't find that anywhere else. And I've had people ask me like, why Mauer? Why Bloomington? It feels like it's not in a big city. Like you might not get a lot of opportunities. And I tell them like, the people are the best opportunities. Your network is the best you'll ever find um, because my classmates went all over the country. So um, if I'm in San Diego, I always have dinner with Kira. And if I'm in Utah, I have Courtney. Like truly I have um, connections all over the country because Mauer is a magnet for the best people you can, you can find. So I can't speak uh, highly enough of going to law school in Bloomington. I know it's not, you know, tall skyscrapers, but it's the four seasons. You get the beautiful um, sample gates and you get the kindest professors um, who are also the most brilliant ones too. So it's like a weird intersection. You wouldn't think that, but it's, it's been really, it's, it was really great three years, as good as a three years can be when you're being cold called and you are absolutely terrified every day. <laughs> well, I feel a little bad that we call the podcast, uh, you know, one last cold call because uh, presumably you thought you'd put that past you and that here you are being cross-examined. You know, I have to say from my own perspective as, as a dean, it's one of the privileges of being the dean here is that you, you do get just amazing students from all over the country. And, um, and then I think you're right. Unlike some of the big cities, you're able to make those relationships and those connections that can hopefully last a lifetime. And, and I hope you, like other alums, we, we talk about this quite a bit, but people are coming back to Bloomington. You know, I know some alums who, they come back every year at the same time and, and uh, they've been doing it for 30, 40 years. And, and we hope those traditions continue. Well, Caitlin, any last words of advice for, for students or, or from alums that are listening on that uh, you'd recommend as, as um, based on your, your experience on how to stay super engaged both in law school and, and once you're in practice? Um, I would say 
find the things that give you joy and just get really involved in it. If it's writing, then go all in on a journal. If it's advocating, then do the, um, do the different moot court opportunities or the pro bono opportunities. There is, there's almost nothing that you can't do if um, at Mauer. So, um, and also if you're obsessed with DC, like I was, um, do the DC program. If you want to travel the world, go travel, do the Minton, um, the Sturt, what is it called? Oh, the Stewart Fellows. The Stewart the Fellows. Fellows. Yeah, there's an opportunity for every type of passion. So find what you are excited about and just really jump into it. And also don't be afraid that it's not the traditional path forward. Like I, if you think in your mind, oh, this is what a big law firm wants to see. This is what a litigation associate is supposed to look like. You're never going to get there. You just got to do the things that make you happy and will make you the best attorney that you can be. And then also just support your fellow classmates, especially during this pandemic. Um, Mauer, once again, attracts the best people. So you want to really build that community as much as possible. Well, Kaylin, so nice to catch up with you. And thank you for spending time with us on, on the podcast. Uh, it was great to have you. Uh, uh, great to have you on this episode. Thanks so much. Oh, of course. Thanks, Dean Parrish. Take care. And thanks to our listeners for joining us too. Don't forget to follow us on social media at both at Austin Parish and at IU Mauer Law on Twitter and Facebook. And we hope you make plans to come back to Bloomington soon. Each year, over a thousand alumni come back to campus, judging moot court or mock trial, serving as mentors, or helping our students in other ways. We hope you will too. And when you do, please reach out. Until the next time, this is One More Cold Call, an IU Mauer School of Law alumni podcast.